0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Revolancer. His name is Carl Swanepoel. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing very well. Uh, it's been a while since I've done a show in the morning. Like, this sounds strange for anyone that's new to the show, because a lot of the time when I do this show... I tend to have guests maybe like say stateside and they're in a completely different time zone so I've got to kind of like try and adjust accordingly and I I mean I don't mind either way I love just doing this show but (laughs) you do have to kind of adjust yourself a little bit and (laughs) you know like maybe I'm caning a bit too much coffee around (laughs) 5 6 p.m. (laughs) Um, so it's nice to do it in the morning for a change but yeah anyway um, let's just jump straight into you man I want to kind of get behind who you are a little bit more because I love the idea that you've got um, with this company there's a lot we can of ground we can cover Um, just to give you a bit of uh, background on me I've I've got a marketing background I've been in the industry for several years so and I've worked in business um, studying business all my life I've always been a bit of a big business nerd fan if that's a thing i don't know just a fan of business <laughs> that, that, that's a thing isn't it yeah people like things like shark tank and whatever so that you can be a fan of business anyway talk us through the beginning of your business career up until this point so talk us walk us through because i i saw on your linkedin and various other places online that you've quite kind of got quite a story career there's a lot of different uh industries you've worked in and and different levels and stuff but walk us through in your own words your career so far.
1: sure, Um, I mean I I guess hard to think of uh, exactly when it started but I I guess you know right at the beginning where it started was um, when I was 13 I decided that I wanted to be my own boss and that I never wanted to work for anyone else. I don't know why I decided that, but I had a very strong belief there and it really stuck around. So quite quickly, um, I realized I needed to take it very seriously because that's not an easy thing to pull off. Um, So I started by trying to make money online. Um, I found freelancing platforms. So I started freelancing on there, Uh, quickly grew unhappy with how these platforms operated so i decided to start my own freelancing platform at the age of 15. um started it with about 200 pounds kind of a, a a crazy story behind that but in the end i i had to sell it because i was too young to have a paypal account and they didn't they didn't no they wouldn't let me <laughs> <they> wouldn't <laughs> let me keep operating it um so I, I i sold that just before my 16th birthday um and, uh, and yeah since then I've been involved in a few other projects so mainly a kind of a marketing and web agency that I, I started. Had an office on my local high street that was again a really stupid idea because it just the rent you know ate all of what would have been profit and we could have easily run it remotely.
0: That's something I want to ask you right off the bat. Um, what do you make of remote like the idea of just say companies not having a physical location because a lot of the companies i've worked for in the last a year and a half would either rent out like a we work space or something like that or they just wouldn't have an office at all it'd be completely remote and i i i'm with you i think as far as business costs are concerned unless you for some reason have to have a physical location to sort of operate out of i don't see why you should invest that money there i mean a lot of the companies i went for in the past you could tell it's all about like oh we want to have the big swanky office in the city location to show off i get that mm-hmm. but at the same time why <laughs> you know what i mean like it's like, i think it's much more impressive to be like hey look at these spreadsheets <laughs> like look how, look how well we're doing um but yeah no i mean just yeah let's just talk about it i mean what what okay let's let's rephrase the question a little bit obviously you were paying a lot of money for you know something that you weren't really getting something out of but were there any other things that kind of twigged you to think okay maybe remote working is better it's a better option for me
1: well i mean co- covid was a big part of it this was just just before covid um okay it, yeah, getting an office was very much a vanity metric you know i right. i wanted an office because i was 18 at the time and i thought you know oh i have my my office. The local newspaper took a big interest in that too. Oh, right. uh, did like a big, big piece on the 18-year-old that got an office. But you know, in hindsight, it was such a silly thing to do. And now, where where we could very easily um, get an office, and we have a much larger team at Revelon, so we don't have an office. We work completely remotely. But then we meet up every couple of months and mm. kind of rent rent an Airbnb or, or something and just kind of get together and brainstorm things together. So that seems to be quite a nice balance.
0: Yes, and it's interesting as well, because all
1: right, right there, you
0: said like an Airbnb somewhere calls cool like a, probably like a house setting or something yeah. like more relaxed. Like I, I personally feel like it's, you can get so much more done from home. And in in the companies that I've worked for over the years, you know, so, so, a lot of the time you have like a hybrid model, which I think is, it works. You know, if you've got like a physical location, sometimes it's nice to go into an office or meet up with a team. You know, I, t- I totally get that, but I, I don't know like there there are some places that i worked where like i actually ha- i remember one place I worked, i had to actually go to a different floor of the building to get away from the noise because people were just so loud and i was like i can't get anything done here but when i was at home surprise surprise i got a lot more done and i don't know if that's because of the noise factor or just feeling comfortable or whatever but like i don't know it's I think how how the the measures that you go to to make your staff feel more comfortable, generally speaking, will at some point equate to more productivity. I mean, you know, it's like obviously it depends where you're working, what the goal is, and you know if people are invested in that vision. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know. I think it it goes a lot further to to make them feel comfortable rather than just being like, hey, here's that pinball machine in the middle of the office that we're never going to use. Like <laughs> it's just, it's like. Uh, I don't know. I hate startup culture. I'm sorry. (laughs) Just that element of it. Everything else is is great. It's always fun to be part of something that's growing in the beginning stages. But um, I've seen a lot of like major companies replicate this, like Mm. bigger scale companies. And it's like, I don't know, for me, I feel the most important asset that you're going to have is the people in your company. That way it always comes down to that because they're the people that make you know, the vision happen. But um, anyway, let's move it forward. Talk us through specifically how Revolancer came to be. So you gave us a little bit of um, background behind you know your your career up to this point and why you made the decision to kind of move in that sphere. But talk us specifically about this in a uh, particular business.
1: Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, it came from being a freelancer, realizing that freelancing platforms aren't serving freelancers right. Uh, that was back in 2014, 2015. Um, I then started my own platform, sold that, then started working with clients directly, not via um, freelancing platforms. And then when COVID came, we were you know, in a COVID lockdown in early 2021. I was looking at these freelancing platforms that I started my journey on, you know, six or seven years before that. And realised that they hadn't changed a thing. You know, I, I already thought that they were massively a- outdated um, back in 2014, 2015, and they hadn't changed anything back in 2021. They haven't changed anything today. Um, you know, and they're just so set on their ways, and it's really not compatible with the way that we work remotely nowadays. So that's when I decided to start Revolancer and you know do something about it.
0: So you're not the only company that's obviously offering freelance. Oh, I freelance platform, shall we say. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, there's Freelancer, Upwork, a few other platforms, Fiverr, et cetera. And they, they all kind of vary as far as like what their particular offering is. I'm on some of those for things like voice acting and copywriting. And, uh, you know, I've had like some success for it, but not really. But that's just my personal experience. But something that kind of stood out to me is that you guys charge zero commission and so i was like okay so how are you making your money <laughs> like um what like without being too probing but it is kind of my job um how are you making money is it through advertising or is it like some sort of a, a freemium model where you pay for features down the line like how exactly are you guys making your business
1: yeah so it's a freemium model we have a, an optional plan called Revelancer plus which just unlocks some extra features like being able to send more proposals to clients and a couple of other mm. things Um, But, you know, the the commissions being at 0%, you know, it has another benefit too. So on a lot of these, in fact, all of the platforms that you mentioned and a few more of the very large freelancing platforms, They rely on commission fees, but because of that, they have to police how you communicate. So you can't video call, you can't talk off platform in any way, because then um, they won't get their revenue. So by removing commission fees, we can also allow people to work flexibly and not get in the way of their workflow.
0: What's your thoughts on that? I mean, let's say for argument's sake that someone did want to take business outside of your
1: platform. How do you feel about that? Um, we I mean we we don't care. We're sort of the, the hey. platform exists. Well the, the platform exists to, to get people new clients, not to yeah. sort of, you know, worm our way into existing freelancer client relationships and just try and skim some money off of every single transaction. I I don't think that's productive in, in any way.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know, like I, I get why those companies are doing that, but at the same time it to me it just feels like a lack of trust. It's like, all right, like you get you're gonna make some money out of it anyway, but that's like, a bit like i think i think if nothing else it should be it could be restructured in a way couldn't it? It, it you could sort of say like okay you can either pay this amount and we basically get you together and you you may not have contacted each other previously or may not have even been able to contact each other for whatever reason so that's like one kind of i don't know benefit i suppose of of being on that and then you know um you could structure it in a way that Instead of saying, "Oh no, we're gonna prevent you from being able to take conversation elsewhere," you could be like, "Well, how about we help you to facilitate a better conversation? We give you tools, we give you resources that, you know, would make it better for you to stay on this platform and use it as opposed to taking your business elsewhere." You know, I mean, I, I, I got to say, like, it always comes down to trust, doesn't it? Especially between business to consumer. Like, I know in this sense, it's a company sort of being like the middleman, but i don't know i I think i I like your approach a bit better i think it's just better to just get people together doing business and you know by kind of being less on their shoulders i think they're more inclined to then you know take up a model such as yours with the plus model it's like you like the service like oh you know what maybe i will pay for that rather than yeah yeah, i don't know I i think there's something to that but anyway um for people who are nervous about the prospect of freelancing, in your opinion, why should they consider freelancing?
1: I mean, uh, I, I'd have to know why, why they're nervous about it, I suppose. Um, but I'd say with, yeah, I mean, freelancing, it's it's a great way to work flexibly and kind of be your own boss. I, I think it's very similar to entrepreneurship. And, and I think the, I mean, what, so you know being an i mean there's a there's a funny meme that always circulates on on linkedin where it's like you know i didn't want to work a nine to five now i work 24 7. right <laughs> um, so it's not you know it's not necessarily like easier um, or more flexible in 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 some ways than working a nine to five but i think um what it comes down to is the same question i asked myself with uh, you know why being an entrepreneur is definitely the right thing for me which is you have to ask yourself, what is worse for you? Is it worse for you to be stressed or is it worse for you to be bored? And for most people, it's worse to be stressed. And that's why, you know, most people are happier with a kind of a nine to five. But Mm. for me, it's much worse to be bored. So what I'm doing, it's I probably get more stressed doing this than I would doing some kind of mundane, you know, safer kind of job. Um, But I'd be bored out of my mind. And that to me is worse. So I'd say similar for freelancing.
0: Something you said at the beginning of the show kind of stood out to me with relation to this. You said that, you know, you wanted to work for yourself. You just knew from day one. For me, I realized through the course of working for various companies that for whatever reason, I don't like being told what to do. Now, I'll put a caveat to this. It's not that I have an issue with someone telling me what to do. It's more an issue of, let's suppose you're in a meeting room and you know that the thing that your boss is suggesting won't work. For whatever reason, maybe you and your team have tried this. By the way, this comes from personal experience. I'm not just making this up. (laughs) So you know that this thing isn't going to work. And your boss says, yeah, but, you know, we're going to do this anyway. And you're like, why? And and they just say, oh, we just, you know, just, just do it. So you go, okay, you do what your boss tells you, right? And then it doesn't work. And then several months later, you go to review, inevitably. And they're like, oh, I don't understand. I don't understand. you're like, well, if we'd have done it this way that I suggested, it would have worked. And therein, you get a lot of arguments like that happening, which, and that's what bothers me. Nothing else. No, I don't care about egos. I don't care about, you know, being the boss. I, I, to be honest, I hate leading most of the time. Um, yeah, I'll do it if I need to. But like, I just like being part of a team where what you say and do is valued and, and you're it's it, it's a bit like, do you know what? it's a bit like being in a band i think in some ways mm-hmm. and hear me out with this analogy but if you play for the song the song will be better if you play for yourself it's probably going to suck and i feel like a team setting is a lot like that it's like if you're thinking about the project overall and what will work for the project and you think about how your contributions will help or potentially hinder that then you're thinking more about the project at large and it's probably more likely to succeed but then if you're just thinking about yourself or you're just trying to get your ideas in i don't know be the best salesperson of the the particular core like it's eventually it's going to come back to bite you and i i I don't know i think that because of that that's maybe why we're seeing a lot more people going down the freelance route because you're actively managing yourself and as you pointed out before you know the reality is it is a kind of a 24 hour gig. I mean, I, I've been self-employed now for quite some time and you know, I go, I go back and forth. Sometimes I go into roles where, you know, I'm back working with people again and, and then other times I'm just doing project to project. And right now I'm actively like searching for work all the time. And it's that in of itself is a job just searching for work. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's invaluable to have platforms such as yours, where it's, you know, <clears throat> actively trying to, Put people together, and that's really what it is, is: is putting freelancers with, you know, clients, businesses, whatever, and getting a dialogue going, and and doing business the way it really should be done. Because, again, like I, you know, I've worked with companies where instead of maybe taking on a freelancer or taking on a company and just kind of working with them for a particular project. Or an ongoing project they just rather employ someone which it has its benefits and its weaknesses but i think sometimes it is better to just look at the project and and go with that rather than you know just taking someone on board and going okay well we got them for 40 hours what can we use that with and it's it's, it's just a different way of approach i'm not saying necessarily it's completely wrong but in my experience over the years it's always been better when you just focus primarily on ways to achieve that project and you know be that bringing in some extra manpower to do that or you know maybe just trialing a a new type of technology such as like analytics and stuff and, and doing it that way whatever you know anyway let's move it forward in your opinion what are the most common mistakes that freelancers should be aware of or should avoid
1: um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely around the pricing side, I think, um, because what will happen oftentimes is, is you know, it's certainly true in my experience and in conversations I ha- I've had with other freelancers is let's say you're speaking to a client. Um, they ask you, you know, how much will it cost to, I don't know, build, build me a website. You say, you know, you look at the brief, everything, um, you say 2000 pounds. They say, Oh, sorry, I've only got 1500. Would you do it for 1500? And then you say, yes. And that's a terrible, terrible thing to do Um, because, you know, you might think, oh, okay, you know, I'm still getting paid, I don't know, 50 pounds an hour or whatever to, to build this or whatever. But you've now taught that client to, you know, that they can expect you to compromise and completely devalue your services. So the right way to respond to a question like that isn't to turn the client down, but the right way to respond to that is, let's say I say to you, you know, I'll build you a 10 page website for, uh, 2000 pounds and then you come back to me and you say oh sorry if i've only got 1500 would you do it for 1500 you say yeah you know i will do it for 1500 but in that case i can only build these six pages you know but so, but if you increase it to 2000 then i'll build the full 10 pages so um even you know you you always have to kind of like match your service to to the price and if they, if they ask for a discount you know then also remove things that you're sort of offering to them um, and that will Make sure that, you know, your services are still valued at the price that they they kind of should be. Um, but it's very dangerous to start offering people discounts because then they'll always expect that whatever price you quote them moving forward is ne- negotiable.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think also this is a kind of an important lesson from a negotiation standpoint, be it if you're trying to get more money from, uh, you know, w- through wages or something like that or always punch higher, always go way higher and work your way down. Don't don't undersell yourself. It's so important not to do that because I mean, I think that's something that people forget often. Yeah, like if you're on a freelance platform or you're, you're selling a service and you go lower than that, as you put it, you are compromising and your the price that you put out there is what you think your service and your time and your product is worth. So it's just as much about what you're selling as it is the reputation and and the
1: like the um how people will look at what you're producing you know and i mean there's also another component to pricing so this is a trap that i really fell into um freelancing at quite a young age because i was sort of thinking um you know if i build someone a website and i charge 500 pounds for it it might take me 10 hours to do and that's 50 pounds an hour which you know time is like an incomprehensible amount of you know money Um, But then in reality, I'm completely underselling my my services and I was thinking about it completely the wrong way around You shouldn't think about it as in like what is that money worth to me? You should think about it. What is the value of your service worth to them? You know because building them a website might mean that they they you know triple their sales or or whatever and they go from, I don't know, um, 500K in sales to 1.5 million in, in sales. And at that point, you know, what percentage of that is the website now worth? You know, probably you could argue £10,000 or, or more easily, right? Um, so the be- that's really the best way to think about it. Don't think about it as in, you know, like how much do you need per hour to get by? Think about what, what kind of increased value are they getting from your services and price it according to that
0: i think another good thing to think about as well is like what the market average is saying for the service that you're charging for so like what i think is not necessarily like oh i should just charge what everyone else is charging but you know look at look at your skill set look at let's say you're um a computer programmer okay well how long have you been doing that five ten years okay you do front end back end okay great you know all of these different things are going to drive up the price that you could feasibly charge because your expertise and your knowledge is obviously worth that much more. And when you compare to what everyone else is doing in the market, you can kind of see like, okay, well, this person has been in the industry for five years and they've worked on these projects and this is how much they're charging. I maybe have seven years experience. I've got a bit more than them and i also know how to do this this and this so i could probably charge this much more i think that's always an important thing to think about as well because if you undersell yourself as again just to repeat this um and there's people in the market who are charging more imagine how that kind of makes you seem it's like you not only are understanding yourself, but you don't sort of believe in your ability as much. And I think that can sometimes send an inadvertent bad message to the client because they're going to be like, well, why are they tra-? Like, don't they understand? Have they not done their research? And it's like alarm bells start going off. You're like, hmm, because you absolutely should do your research. You know, like one thing... Um, freelancers tend to do is is raise their prices every year and obviously that tends to kind of go with things like inflation and just generally like moving things up the cost of living everything increases but I think it's also important because they're looking at what the market is saying going yeah no I need to charge more for this
1: Mm.
0: and like you know when I do my voiceovers and uh, my voice acting uh, sometimes I'll I'll look at what the project is saying. So if it's someone that doesn't have a particularly big budget, I'll I'll tend to ask what their budget is and then measure that against the work that's being produced. And sometimes I will actually turn down a project if it's, you know, if they're charging, let's say a really, really small flat fee, but they want me to do a lot of work. It's like, it might not be sort of workable for me, but then other times, you know, sometimes it's just about the project. It can be like, well, this is a project I really want to work on. So, you know i'll take this i'll do this i think particularly when you're in your beginning stages like i've been at things like voice acting and acting for a number of years now but i'm still very much in the infancy stage so i'm still trying to build up my portfolio and get somewhere and i think in that stage it's like to some extent you should take on as many projects as you can get just so you've got that under your belt so that when you get to say the next year in your freelancing journey you can be like okay well now i can choose to be a bit more selective with this now i can kind of start thinking a bit more about what i'm charging what my time is worth etc etc yeah lots of things to think about thank you for that Uh, you aim to revolutionize freelancing by putting freelancers first how do you aim to achieve that
1: Well, I mean, it it comes through, you know, lots of different kind of policy on the site. So not charging commission fees, allowing people to speak outside the platform Um, from kind of a brand ethos perspective, we're completely, you know, putting freelancers first. And it's important that a freelancing platform does that because by really prioritizing freelancers and giving them everything they need to do their best work, um, I mean, ultimately, then we create the best supply of freelancers for clients. So, you know, by nurturing your supply, you offer the best product or service to your demand side. So it makes no sense to me whatsoever how um, other large freelancing platforms prioritize the demand side so much at the expense of freelancers because ultimately they're just harming both sides. But if you prioritize the supply side, you can create a better service for your demand side. And there is actually an example of this working too, which is a platform called Rightmove that you might have heard of. Um, so they they completely dominated their space by not focusing on home buyers, but by focusing on estate agents. And that way, by really pleasing estate agents, they got the most high quality listings. And ultimately, that's most useful to a home buyer. So they, were the big, they became the biggest player in their space. And we're doing something um, very similar in the, in the freelancing space as well.
0: So it's such a basic thing, isn't it? Understanding your market and just... like I remember, I remember in business school, when I first started getting into business, they would just hammer that point. It's like, understand your market, know your market. And it's like, if you don't understand that, You're just not going to get anywhere of it. You're just going to constantly be butting your head against the wall going, I don't understand why it's not working. I don't understand. And it's like, sometimes it's not even about like being the cheapest platform or being, you know, having the most of something. Sometimes it is just about being accessible about, you know, making the right kind of partnerships and connections. And then in that you get things like the best listings for a particular industry that you're working in. Um, with regards to, you know, setting up Revolancer and other businesses that you've set up over the years, what would you say have been sort of the biggest challenges? I guess where we're coming at with this question is, is kind of as an entrepreneur, what would you say are the biggest challenges for you over the years?
1: Um, I mean, it's, it's been a, quite a lot of different things, but I think um, the best piece of advice I can give and something I have followed for a long time and continue to follow is that you need to surround yourself with people who um, are better than you at, at certain things. Um, so, you know, for example, fundraising, uh, Revlon, uh, with Revelance, it's the first time that I raised uh, funds from, from a VC, you know, from angel investors, that kind of thing. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. So I spoke to people who had previously fundraised for their startups, I spoke to angel investors, not trying to get them to give me money, but just Trying to get them to give me feedback. You know, would this be something you'd invest in, or if if not, why not? You know, how can I improve this? Um, and then through those conversations, I put together a re- really good kind of pitch, really good narrative. And then when I went out to fundraise, I managed to um, do do so. You know, relatively easily, uh, even though it's not something I, I ever did before. So um, I faced lots of challenges, but the way that I always approach them is by Um, you know, learning from the expertise and experiences of other people who have faced challenges like that in the past and and overcame them.
0: Uh, Speaking of getting advice and feedback from people, I found on your LinkedIn that you're regularly advised by the Just Eat co-founder. So I wanted to understand how this business relationship came to be and what have been the main things you've learned from it.
1: Sure. I mean, it's actually a very funny story. It comes back from that office that I... Uh, hired mean it's rented uh, sorry it's the one good thing that came out of that and why i don't regret doing that at all Um, and basically i mentioned that this office that i had was really good at attracting the attention of the local newspaper and they did like a big spread about me uh, on the front page of their business you know it's for like a tiny town's local newspaper so it's nothing that impressive Um, it's still impressive man well, I, but I mean, you know, some some people read it locally, and one of them was this guy. So oh, cool. I got an, e- an email at one point, um, you know, from a, a guy called Matt Braddy. I had no idea who he was. I, for whatever reason, didn't Google him either. Um, <laughs> he just said he's like, a, you know, a, an entrepreneur in the local area and like to meet up. Um, you know, so I met up with him. Uh, I invited him over to my office. And within about 30 seconds of chatting to him, I realized, like, who he was and what experience he had. He was the founding CMO of Just Eat and probably the reason why you know what Just Eat is. So you know immediately I was like no matter what I have to maintain this contact. So I made sure I got him on WhatsApp, um, kind of spoke with him on and off uh, for I think it was about three years before I started Revlon. where I didn't have a project that I you know I had like various different projects. I now and then asked his advice on and just checked in every couple of months. Um, but when it came to actually starting Revelance, so I then reached out to him because I maintained that connection. Um, and I asked him if he wanted to be an advisor and he said, no, he is uh, far too busy. He can't, but good luck. And then every two weeks from that, I would send him a list of updates. So I'd say, oh, now I've spoken to these people. I've done this. I worked out this. I just send him a li- list of updates on WhatsApp every two weeks. He ignored me. He just read it and ignored me, you know, every every two weeks. Then, then after about two months of doing this, um, I sent him a message and was just like, you know, hey, because I was preparing for a startup competition at the time and it was like a, a week away or something. And I just said to him, you know, hey, this competition is in one week. Are you sure you don't want to call real quick? Like, have a look at my pitch. By the way, are you getting my messages? And he replies <laughs> to me and says, Yes, but I'm ignoring you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and yeah, and then basically I convinced him to get on a call, um, showed him what what I was planning to do, and then I managed to convince him to, to be an advisor for Revlon, and he has been for the past two years, since like right near the start. Um, so yeah, it's been incredible working with him, he's a very direct guy, uh, he made my first ever board meeting a very memorable experience, um, in not the best way, but He's gonna tell me you got to tell
0: me why, man, come on, come on,
1: oh, he just absolutely <laughs> ripped me to shreds in front of all of my you know new investors shortly after our first funding round. oh no, yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, in a kind of like a oh, this is what you need to work on next time, kid, like sort of thing, or just yeah, well
1: he was he i mean he was sort of looking at at our updates and was just like ripping holes into everything and saying, you know why are you prioritizing this, why aren't you doing this, you know, and just like really direct kind of antagonistic it's his personality he's a he's a really great guy though um but every single piece of advice he's given me that i followed has led to really great things happening for the business so yeah he's a wonderful person to have around
0: awesome man and i uh, well done for your um your consistency with that you know it must not be easy to kind of continually get sort of get ignored and then finally like you know you you make something out of it I mean kind of weirdly reminds me of that scene in um, the Shawshank Redemption where um, what's his name Andy keeps sending out the letters and you know he's doing it for a long long time and he eventually gets somewhere with it and then he continues to do it thereafter it's like there's something to be said for that I think you know I mean much like this this show that I'm doing now I mean I've been doing this nearly three years and um the the numbers are slowly getting there. But I think the biggest thing that's blown my mind is just like all the different types of guests I'm getting on the show. You know what I mean? People reaching out such as yourself who want to be on the show. And I'm I'm just like really taking that because it's like for me, I just started this you know sometime during 2020 just because i wanted to do a podcast i didn't really have a particular vision for it now i do now the story i suppose for the show is to kind of share other people's life lessons and stories and journeys and kind of deliver something that is somewhat inspirational to people or motivational or even just funny and sometimes you know whatever but it took a while to kind of realize that vision and that and that goal i suppose and uh, it's something i'm always working on and now it's like more fun than ever and it's it's funny to think about because you know sometimes you do get bogged down with things it can be frustrating it's not always where you want it to be but then you have these small successes and then it's like stages isn't it? it everything comes down to that and business is completely like that you've got stage one stage two quarter one quarter two quarter three quarter four and then before you know it you're you're at the top and you're like oh wow like I remember when this was going nowhere what what changed and it's like a lot changed you changed and your approach and your mentality and your approach attitude everything that's really what changed and that's what makes the success I think yeah completely agree what advice could you give to aspiring entrepreneurs just in general like I know you've given a little bit throughout the show but like let's say someone who's just uh, such as yourself your starts at a young age um yeah let, let's start there actually for any sort of young budding entrepreneurs what would your advice be
1: um don't be afraid to fail and just be very persistent i mean most of everything that i've tried has failed um i have experience in a lot of different fields as a result of that though you know i've tried everything i've tried selling on on ebay i've tr- you know fl- flipping things i've tried drop shipping I've tried setting up marketplace businesses. I've tried setting up, you know, agencies, freelancing, everything, all kinds of different things, um, an app, you know? So like I, even though most of these things that I just mentioned to you failed, I now have a basic underlying understanding of how they work. And also more importantly, what went wrong on my side. So if I wanted to try any of these things again, I would have an advantage where I'd probably be able to get it to a success faster because I, because I failed um, and I think that's a, that's a, the best way to think about failing. Uh, it's, it's a learning experience. Um, and so don't be afraid to fail, especially if you're young, you have much less to, to lose. Uh, so just really go for it, try as many things as possible. And you'll learn so much from that, that eventually you'll, um, you'll be able to, to be successful and you'll be, you'll be able to replicate it because it won't be luck. It'll be from all of your hard work and all of your learnings from things that didn't work out in the past.
0: Let's explore that a little bit, the concept of failure. Um, one thing I always like to do when I have my business guests on is not just sit and just ask like, oh, how did you achieve this success? Like, I like to get down to the, the root of the person because I feel like that is always kind of the most important factor because it's mm-hmm. all the qualities of that person that help them get to where they eventually got to. So speaking to failure in those moments when you failed particularly in the moments when you put a lot into it and then it it didn't work out and you were you know you had to kind of pick yourself back up again what kept you going what was what was the thing that kind of kept pushing you forward and made you kind of overcome failure
1: i think it's just that this was really what i wanted to do you know i really wanted to um and, and I mean, it's one because it's really what I wanted to, to do, and two, just because I enjoyed the the journey of it. Even if things didn't go great, I still enjoyed just le- trying lots of different things, learning from them. Um, so I think, yeah, it's a, it's a combination of that. It's, it's that I really wanted to achieve the goal down the line, and a very strong desire to do that. But also that I really just enjoyed the the journey and the day to day of things. But that you know, with that being said. Um, I, there were times where I was very close to thinking, you know, things just keep going wrong. Um, now it's time to, you know, just, just stop with this and find something else. Um, so if I could go back in time, th- this is what I would say to myself, you know, like, don't be afraid of fa- failing, you know, like all of this actually builds up to um, being able to to do something really amazing at a young age, because, you know, I f- failed with most of everything I did over the past 10 years. It means now at 23, I've got a venture backed business and, um, been able to achieve a number of nice things but most of everything I've tried again has failed but it led up to this so that's what I wish I could go back and, and tell myself and I think it's important for anyone um, at any point in their journey but especially at the beginning it's very important to um, understand that.
0: Brilliant uh, got a couple of questions for you about the future so let's start with uh, freelancing and then we'll get back to you so what do you think is the future of freelancing? as it stands right now?
1: Well, I think that this is a, a, a booming kind of uh, market. I mean, today, like right now, it might surprise you that about a third of the global workforce are freelancers, 1.56 billion people. Um, ah, okay. Also, by by according to McKinsey and Company, according to their projection, um, by 2027, more than half of the US workforce will be freelancers. So... Um, It's a space that's growing very fast. I think it's appealing to a lot of people. I think the current, uh, I think, you know, the kind of after effects of COVID, the, um, you know, impending economic kind of crisis uh, is all fueling this as well. So I think that moving forward, we're going to have a much more kind of freelance-based, flexible way of working for a huge amount of the workforce um, than we even do currently. What do you think
0: are the implications of that for, for companies, you know, how do you think that traditional companies that are offering say the nine to five, which by the way, I know, I know we've, we've been quite critical of the nine to five, but like, I I think there are a lot of positives to be, to be, um, argued for nine to five. So I think it's, it always generally comes down to the type of person you are and what your goals Mm -hmm. are and what you want, you know, it's, but one thing I will say about both freelancing and nine to five is, this there is this illusion of job security. There is no such thing as job security. You sometimes you get lucky, and you maybe you 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 have good business working relationships with people. But yeah, uh, I've seen it time and time again. I'm sure you've seen it as well. People can work for companies for years and years, and suddenly you're gone. We've seen it most recently with Google. Uh, some people have been let or uh, let go after 16 years. Yeah, you know, basically setting up the company, and now they're gone. And it's, it's the harsh reality of business. But I think it teaches us a valuable lesson. It's not necessarily a negative thing. I actually think it's a positive thing. If you learn that there is no job security, therefore you should be taking more risks and putting yourself out there and trying to kind of sell yourself more. Like I think that's something that's really good about the freelancer mindset is it teaches you how to look at yourself from the perspective of, okay, these are the different things I can offer. know i shouldn't undersell myself i should kind of throw myself out there i should be bold i should go for things that maybe i think i'm not good enough for because chances are you are good enough you just need to believe in yourself Mm -hmm. and and then a lot and then the rest of it just comes down to like simple marketing and, and just sales really isn't it it's just like knowing how to what is it paul heyman says in the wrestling industry Um, accentuate the positives and hide the weaknesses (laughs) (laughs) or if you need to talk about the weaknesses then work on them and try and get better
1: (laughs) yeah i mean and and, and ultimately you're just more in control because a lot lot of these google employees were the way they found out they'd lost their jobs they just couldn't log into their system you know um, some of them while they were currently on work trips meeting clients and stuff like that so you just have more control so even if you know like you know if you're going to have enough client work, you know what you can do to, to increase it. So you're just in control more. And, and I think there's um that's quite appealing. Uh and, and I, I'm stealing this quote. I can't remember who said it. Um, but there's a great quote where um I'm just trying to think who said it. <laughs> I don't really want to steal the steal the quote. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically uh If you, you know, not taking any risks is the biggest risk you'll ever take. Um, And I think it's a very important thing to realize, like choosing, choosing not to do something is in itself a choice or like choosing not to try with something is a choice in and of itself. And you're kind of guaranteeing, you know, and if you're scared that if you try something that you'll fail, not trying guarantees that you'll fail at, you know, achieving that thing. So, yeah.
0: I'll add to this as well, because I'm trying to become an actor and a voice actor. And, you know, that's a very tough industry to make it in. I'm very aware of that. I know the the odds are stacked against me. But one thing I will say, speaking to risk and, and, and trying, is that, A, I've tried to be successful and... I've tried to kind of do things like the standard nine to five in marketing. I've tried to do customer service and all those things. I worked hard and I've made the best of them, but it just wasn't for me. I knew in my heart, it wasn't for me and that I needed to take a risk on myself and try these other things because that was what would make me happy in life. But one thing that I've realized about fear and the concept of taking risks is a lot of the time it comes down to just people's concern about money. You know, it's like, Oh, how will I make money? How will I afford to pay the bills? And it's like, you will find a way. Like there are so many ways to make money now. And sometimes it, you know, yeah, you have to take a sucky job here and there to do it. And, but that's fine. You know, it's in this book I started reading, um, I was finished it the other day. It's called Andy Nyman, the uh, golden rules of acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they described the period between acting jobs as your resting period. And I love that idea. I think that's true in freelancing too. It's like, you know, you might not always have loads of ongoing work, but that doesn't mean that you're a failure. If anything, it just gives you time to reevaluate what you're doing, tweak things, whether that's, I don't know, your your CV, your portfolio, maybe even taking up a course or something, pitching ideas to, to clients, reaching out to to connections of yours. You know, there's always something you can be doing. And if you're not getting work, it's okay. You will find Work in some shape or form, and you will get to where you want to get to. It just might take some time and some
1: patience. Yeah, absolutely.
0: A couple of quick fire questions for you, completely unrelated to our conversation today. This is just about you, Carl. In your life, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: I mean, I'm, g- I'm going to sound very boring, but it really is this whole idea of just being very persistent. And, um, you know just jumping in the into the deep end with uh everything that I try brilliant and
0: uh what's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far?
1: hmm that's a good question <laughs> biggest life lesson um I think probably that if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll get what you want i I think that's a it's a good philosophy. I think it's it's true as well. Um, I think there are many, you know, many very, very successful business people um, who people complain, you know, people complain about billionaires um, with good reason in a lot of ways as well. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's a good chance that that very successful person got there by helping a huge amount of people solve their problem or helping, a you know, a smaller group of people solve a very big problem that they're willing to pay a lot of money to sort of have the solution for. So um they are creating a lot of value uh, and i think it's just a it's a good philosophy in general to actively try and help other people and then ultimately you know it'll circle back to you as well
0: yeah, i agree and also i think it's just good to constantly be trying to work with other people i mean that's part of the reason why i do podcasting other than just loving doing this i'm also trying to meet people and grow and and get somewhere and and you know learn things and um one thing I read in this, again, in this acting, this is a brilliant book. You read, guys should really get this. Um, even if you're not an actor, it's just a good book in terms of life advice. But um, <clears throat> one of the things it speaks to is this idea that, you know, you got to kind of look at everything that you're doing mm-hmm. and break it down and kind of consider what it is that you're looking for in life. And what you can change and where you can kind of move forward and put yourself in a better place where you can get those things. And there are various different things that you can do to change that, but ultimately it comes down to you and how you kind of budge yourself in a different direction in order to get that. And it always comes down to you. It always does, but it's it's like your attitude, your, your approach and, and kind of reevaluating now at all times. And I, I think in this show today, we've, we've explored that quite, quite a lot. You know, this idea of, of like looking at you and how you can tweak things and change things in order to get where you want to. But a lot of it comes down to the, the basics of, of, of being human really, isn't it? It's, it's a lot of the time it is things like you keep going. You keep believing, you keep trying, you pick yourself up. You you know, it won't always work out. Um, I forgot my point before, but I've come back circle. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I like to do is is connect with different people. And by doing that, I learn so much. And I'm then able to use that in other fields. And I think one of the things I discovered through podcasting is that i was able to have a conversation with someone and go back and forth and there's so many little things that you learn through that sometimes it's your you know it's your time to lead and to guide the conversation and and speak more sometimes you take a seat and you and you listen more and and it's it's good like knowing when to listen when to talk um and also just kind of always putting yourself out there, always trying different things, even if it might not necessarily sound like it's going to work. Just try How do you know? How do you know until you tried? There you go. Absolutely. As we draw things to a close for today, do you have any upcoming projects or final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Oh, I mean, we're building an interesting platform at the moment um, to help freelancers start their journey by exchanging skills. So, um, you know, where you can kind of deliver work to other people, build your portfolio with real client work, and then exchange that for help with your brand. So consulting with a more experienced freelancer, getting a website built, um, getting some marketing done for you, that that kind of thing, and really helping the community. And what we've found is that this already very frequently happens and that the people who do it um, really enjoy doing it. So nine out of 10 people who have exchanged skills before would, would do it again from, from our research. So um that's a very exciting project and you know hopefully just another step in um permanently improving the freelancing space i wish you the
0: best of luck i think what you're you're doing with this company is brilliant and um it was it was one of the when when, when your team reached out to me like i was already interested anyway because i love having business guests on it's always fun um it, it forces me to kind of draw on my experience but also kind of approach it with a, a blank canvas and just learn something new from someone and um, whenever it's something directly related to something I've done before it's always particularly interesting for me because you know there's always something new you can learn like if I take the marketing sphere as an example every company I've ever worked for has a completely different approach to marketing sometimes yeah. you use like the same platform you know, whatever platforms software but it's always different And that always comes down to the people that you're, you you know, you're working with and it it just, yeah, it always blows my mind and it's always keeps it fresh and interesting for sure. But thank you so much for appearing on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, hope to see you again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks very much for having me. And to the listeners of the Christian Reed podcast, as always be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.